This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome to the Retail Insider Podcast. Today is September the 15th, and we are recording with Craig Patterson, the editor-in-chief of Retail Insider, who's joining me to talk about our this week's articles from Retail Insider. So thank you for joining me, Craig. Oh, great to be here as always, and I'm uh, doing today's segment uh, from Alberta. We're a little bit delayed because of uh, traveling that Craig's been doing. Can you give us a little bit of tidbits of where you were wandering for the last uh, week? Yeah, yeah. Besides the Rocky Mountains, I was in Edmonton. I visited West Edmonton Mall and uh, London Dairy Shopping Centre, and uh, the property's looking great. Lots of new retailers are coming in. Um, went down to Calgary and checked out CF Market Mall. Uh, met with uh, Emmy DeVoe, uh, or Emily DeVoe, who's got the brand Emmy DeVoe in uh, her first Calgary store. I visited downtown Calgary. Holt Renfrew's looking uh, Terrific. Um, lots of stuff happening downtown and also the CF Chinook Center, which has got uh, Louis Vuitton. <laughs> I love like when I was in, you know, I was living in the Beltline in Calgary and I loved going to like see the movies and stuff there, too. And just watching it change, even though I haven't been there, just through a lot of the Retail Insider articles has been stunning. And I never thought that Louis Vuitton would end up there because, again, 15 years ago or so when I was there, it just wasn't that kind of caliber. It's, it's beautiful watching how that move or that whole mall has moved to this state. So it's I'm glad you're able to go. Yeah, Saks Fifth Avenue and Nordstrom are in there. I mean, it's uh, certainly mm-hmm. a unique center in uh, in Canada right now in terms of, you know, or I should say certainly in Western Canada, more accurately. Toronto has some terrific malls, too. But, uh, you know, the Vancouver region doesn't have... Uh, you know, any malls with the set. Well, there's no Saks Fifth Avenue out uh, on the West Coast, at least mm-hmm. not as of yet. Uh, and I'm talking about the main expensive Saks, not Saks off Fifth. Not off Fifth, yeah. No, mm-hmm. no, totally. But And did you make it to the core downtown in Calgary? I sure did, yes. I visited Holt Renfrew. I visited Simons. Uh, I went into Harry Rosen. And, uh, you know, it's a bit quiet down there. I know that the economy has taken a bit of a hit. But, um, you know, I think it's the core probably, to me anyways, is the most attractive shopping center in a downtown core in Canada. I mean, the CF Toronto Eaton Centre is great in its own way. But, you know, the core has a very dramatic architectural style that you don't really get, say, in a suburban shopping centre. Mm-hmm. Well, and when I was walking by that whole core, the whole uh, whole run through window displays and stuff like that, I would just adore walking through as a highlight of my day to and from work. So I'm glad you're able to go through because I haven't seen it for a while. So. And that new Holt Renfrew store is about to celebrate its 10th birthday. Um, they oh. had a much smaller one across the street, basically where Brooks Brothers and the Keg are. I think it's the Keg. And uh, then they moved into this gigantic, uh, it was it used to be an Eaton's department store at one time. And uh, now it's Holt Renfrew. So, you know, it's uh, it's a big store. It's about 150, like they don't use all of the 150,000 square feet uh, mm-hmm. that they're, you know, leasing or that they basically possess. But that's, it's a big space, basically four levels. Yeah. Oh, and, and again, hopefully um, the economy in uh, Calgary keeps on the upswing so that they don't necessarily have to downsize. <laughs> but thanks for giving a little bit of, I just wanted to touch base on your travels and stuff. Um, the popular content that we had with Retail Insider this week, um, a lot of the stuff had to do with JLL. So we're going to mention them as a sponsor for this week as well. And you will have a message later in the uh, podcast from them. But uh, the first main thing that was really popular was their Blur Yorkville retail transformation that that, uh, they put out a node study for. Um, And for a lot of the people who aren't um, from Toronto who are listening to our podcast, the Blur Yorkville area, when I was there in January visiting Craig, it was minus 30 degrees there. So I didn't get a good like overview of the Mink Mile and stuff that's on on Blur Street, but it was beautiful. It's fun. We're always kind of reporting and tagging the Blur Yorkville uh, BIA or Business um, Association that's there. So it's well established and 
uh, it's a lot of stuff is happening there. And it was interesting reading the JLL luxury node study, but I wasn't sure if if our listeners would know a lot about that or if I know why or what a luxury node study is for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the study is, um, it gives a bit of an overview of what's happening in the area. So the Bloor Yorkville area is seeing a pretty incredible transformation with construction and new retailers and thousands of new condo units being built. So um, the report, I mean, it's it's a good way, obviously, for JLL to get their name out there as a thought leader and, you know, right. as a... Uh, as a brokerage and a consultancy that understands what's happening. But it's also, uh, you know, a bit of an information that say some of, uh, you know, say a retailer that might be a retail client or might become a retail client might be able to uh, get a bit of information in this area. And, you know, they call it a luxury node because it's a clustering of high-end retailers. And, uh, Mm. you know, uh, Dior, um, you know, for example, has just opened its first, uh, or I should say its largest store in North America, um, in, in the in the colonnade on Bloor Street West, and mm. uh, you know there are you know other retailers like that. Hermes has a gigantic flagship. They also just opened in Vancouver on Friday, um, and uh, you know Gucci's renovating its store. Louis Vuitton has an eighteen thousand square foot store there. So it's one of the world's uh, you know sort of top luxury clusterings, I guess you would say, for retail. And it appears to be getting a lot better. And uh, with Italy coming in as well, that's going to build more foot traffic and excitement. And there's some other exciting things on the way as well that uh, you will be revealing a retail insider, you know, in due course. Well, it's interesting because like McEwen had opened up and there's a variety of other like um, food halls and stuff that support a lot of those, um, the luxury brands that are coming through. Um, But I kind of equate this luxury node similar to the Alberni Street luxury node in uh, Vancouver. Yes. Uh, What would the luxury nodes be in, in Montreal? That's a good question because in decades past, it was actually Sherbrooke Street West. Um, Holt Renfrew is still located there as well as the Ritz Hotel. And um, for sure, you know, in the 1980s and 1990s, it would have been a stretch basically from Guy over to uh, the other side of Mountain, I think around Drummond, if people know Montreal. And most of those stores have closed, uh, unfortunately, over the couple decades. And, you know, Holt Renfrew is still there, but it's going to be closing uh, next spring as well and merging into this new spectacular Holt Renfrew Ogilvy. So I think my answer to that would be in terms of the uh, inner city core, uh, the luxury node for Montreal would actually be the 250,000 square foot Holt Renfrew Ogilvy department right. store, which does lease, you know, space inside to brands. So it's almost like a hybrid shopping center department store. And then there are a few high-end brands on uh uh, Avenue, what's it called? Um, on Mountain Avenue, I'll use the English term. Uh, just like literally, you know, surrounding uh, Holt Renfrew Ogilvy. So you've got, uh, you know, uh, Pavillon Christophel, you've got uh, Mont Blanc, and uh, uh, I mean, Suit Supply, I wouldn't call a luxury brand, but it's in there as well. And, you know, All Saints. So it, it's it's a great little street, uh, but it's all kind of about Holt Renfrew Ogilvy in, in the center. And at some point, Royal Mount, the uh, new midtown of Montreal, will have luxury retail as well, but uh, that hasn't been built yet. It's under construction. Yeah. So that will, I think, become another luxury node for Montreal, possibly the main luxury node we'll see. Oh, excellent. And just bringing it back to the Toronto luxury node with the uh, JLL report that was there, it was interesting reading through the kind of the history or perspective was uh, kind of mentioning 2016 was when things were kind of starting to move and shake a little bit there. Mm-hmm. I, on Yorkville Avenue, that's just Yorkville yeah. Avenue. Like, um, you know, luxury brands have been on Bloor Street for decades and decades. But, yeah. um, you know, Yorkville Avenue, you know, the Yorkville area, which is sort of the village area just north of uh, Bloor Street, essentially, between Avenue Road and 
kind of actually Bay Street, I guess you'd say. It's like one big long block or maybe two blocks. But, um, you know, it, it's always been an upscale area. But uh, when Christian Louboutin came in and opened that store there, it uh, kind of kicked things off. I, I think Chanel may have also uh, had already signed a lease but hadn't opened by that point. So yeah. uh, I think that there was a real cooperation there amongst, uh, you know, brokers and landlords that this was going to be you know, kind of a, you know, a Rodeo Drive type of uh, thing, or maybe more like, you know, um, Madison Avenue, say in New York City. And we've seen these uh, flagship luxury brand stores opening up on Yorkville Avenue. So after Christian Louboutin, you know, Chanel opened and, and quite recently we saw Brunello Cuccinelli and Versace uh, open really, really impressive stores. And uh, Stone Island is coming up next. And I, oh, and I shouldn't exclude Off-White. Uh, that opened in, what was that? Uh, uh, I think it was early 2017. Uh, I have mm-hmm. to check on that. But I, met, I actually met Virgil Abloh, the uh, designer, and we Ooh, chatted for half an hour. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was actually a really neat experience. I, 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 he wasn't quite as famous as he is now, but he, he was pretty well known because he was Kanye West's uh, creative director. He might oh, still wow. be. Maybe he's not anymore. I'm not sure, to be honest. Well, it's interesting because even in off, with Off-White, when I was in South Africa, they there was all kinds of Off-White um, retail experience stores and stuff like that that were kind of popping up in Santon, which is their main um uh kind of fashion district in johannesburg so it was interesting seeing a lot of these brands that either are announcing opening up stores in toronto or in vancouver or montreal uh, already having well-established big stores that are quite impressive but um Hmm. yeah so but one of the other questions i had around the jll um toronto blurry yorkville retail uh, luxury nose study that they did as I, I was noticing first capital realty was listed in there as kind of um, attributed to sparking a lot of this um, forward momentum or at least accelerating it, that momentum that may have been there already. But mm-hmm. how does like JLL and first capital realty kind of co work together? Cause I, I was confused on their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So first capital realty is the landlord essentially, or at least that's uh, what they're doing in Bloor Yorkville. So they've purchased a number of commercial buildings uh, on Yorkville Avenue and uh, in the area. So um, they've actually been instrumental in spearheading the Yorkville Avenue um, luxury expansion. And it's going to continue. Um, a couple of more buildings will be uh, demolished, like 101 Yorkville will be demolished at some point, and that'll, uh, I think, have at least three flagship uh, locations that would be appropriate for luxury stores, and as well as they ha- they own the spaces that Diesel and Anthropology were in mm. formerly. Um, Diesel was Great. right next door to Chanel, so um, I'm, we're expecting some very high-end names to be moving into these. So uh, First Capital Realty, you know, as a landlord, um, you know, really, I think they've spent something like $600 million uh, buying real estate in that neighborhood. And they, they own the uh, Hazleton Hotel, which has retail at the base. And we'll be uh, announcing uh, a retailer moving into the base of there. Uh, Goop is going to be leaving on September 22nd. It was there for a few months. And uh, we won't give away that surprise, but it's a, it's a First Canada brand, which will actually open in Montreal first. But again, we won't say which one. And what's really neat, actually, people might not know this, First Capital Realty owns the commercial base of One Bloor Street East, and that's where the McEwen, Wait, really? uh, yeah, yeah, that's where the McEwen, McEwen grocery is, yeah. store is. Um, yeah. Nordstrom Rack is the main anchor on the corner. And, yes, uh, on the corner. And Chick Fil A, um, the American restaurant chain uh, known for its chicken, just opened its first Canadian location on the uh, corner of Bloor and, or sorry, that Young Street and Hayden, I should say, um, in the one uh, Bloor Street East building, and uh, it's apparently still has lineups to get in there. So uh, you know, even though it was, I think, a bit controversial, some people didn't like, you know, the company's stance and certain. Uh, social issues but nevertheless uh, there's a lineup to get food yeah. there so and who's the builder for that one there i was trying to remember for ch- oh uh, build it by design built uh, oh, right the uh, the chick-fil-a store yeah they, they do quite a bit of restaurant and retail yeah because i've seen their stuff on instagram all the time it's beautiful 
Uh-huh. Yeah. No, yes. Interesting. So that was kind of the the report that kind of came out from JLL that we kind of talked about in Retail Insider. And I just want to touch upon that one because it's interesting seeing these node studies and the perspective that's coming out from from brokers and and uh, realtors and stuff. But JLL's perspective is really cool. So just want to touch upon that. Yeah. And ahead. it's really it's really exciting. I mean, we'll be covering the uh, Bloor Yorkville node a bit more in Retail Insider because uh like I said, there are more things coming. It's uh, there's this incredible transformation happening there, and you know the the neighborhood has sort of progressed over the years. It was a village at one time. It, you know, sort of had a downturn, uh, you know, around the Second World War, and then in the 1950s, you know, the beatniks kind of came in. In the 1960s, the hippies came in, and then a developer came in and uh, started building, you know, more expensive real estate, like the Hazelton Lanes Mall, Hazelton Lanes Mall, I should say, which is now the Yorkville Village Shopping Center, and uh, things have progressed. So now it's sort of becoming what say Mayfair would be to London in terms of being this high end node where uh, those that have you know quite a bit of money they, they might come and live there they might come shop there they come there for restaurants and to say get their nails done or you know it's sort of this area that wealthy people can come in and you know have these different experiences i guess you would say um it looks like the uk the toy retailer um hamleys is announcing that they're going to be coming to canada and the united states but it was interesting for me to see that just because anybody who travels to London typically goes in the usual suspects, right? The London Tower Bridge and all that kind of stuff. But Harrods is always a must go to. And when I was checking through there, I also was looking at Hamley's and the Lego store and all that kind of good stuff. Well, I was in London, so I was very surprised to hear that uh, the Hamley's from like 1760 is com- like expanding out to Canada. So I was very excited to hear that. But like, well, how did we find out about this, Craig? Yeah, actually, it was a, a couple of Indian news publications, I guess, uh, the uh, parent company of Hamley's, which is actually now owned uh, by an Indian uh, business conglomerate, uh, uh, you know, made that announcement that uh, they would be expanding into Canada. So I right. thought that was really interesting because, uh, you know, they were able to buy Hamley's, I think, for a fairly reasonable price. It was a bit over $60 million. And, uh, you know, the owner is uh, the wealthiest man in India, has a house, I think, is 600 feet tall. It's it's oh, worth no. something oh, like $2 wow. billion. <laughs> oh, boy. So yeah. he's, he's wealthy. He's got the money to expand this. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, where, where Hamley's would go in Canada and how it's going to relate to, you know, some of the retailers are already here you know like say mastermind toys and as well as toys r us oh yeah well, and i was just kind of wondering that like when i take a look at toys r us there's you know the last two years has not been favorable for toys r us especially with you know the united states and then you know the canadian arms staying on its own but um, what i was really wondering though is like i don't know when i in vancouver go to the one that's on i think it's broadway yeah it used to be in well, it's in a building that used to be a old car dealership with the uh, bomax sign that's mm. there it's like this big 1950s throwback where it used to be like lit up with all kinds of uh, neon lights and glitter and stuff like that and as time passed it's this mega massive sign so I always think about that whenever I'm driving by, but whenever I was in the Toys R Us store there, it doesn't necessarily feel very experiential. Um, like it, like yes, it was in a car dealership before, but it does make me feel like I'm going through an automotive part dealership as opposed to going in. Like if I was a kid, I wouldn't necessarily feel like I would want to start playing with, you know, go-karts and stuff like that just to try it out like that's the whole experiential thing but yeah yeah i mean one of the things that you know some had criticized toys r us for is that you know even though it was a toy store that you know should be experiential uh 
they weren't. And I mean, I'm speaking a little bit more about the American stores, but, uh, you know, I think the Canadian division was fairly similar. You know, there was, a, there was unfortunately a bankruptcy and the company's come out of bankruptcy and is doing new things and they do want to innovate in Canada. And I have noticed I've gotten, you know, a lot of press releases and, and read a few things that, you know, they're definitely creating experiences in their stores, which is exciting, but uh, definitely something that will be extremely necessary. I think moving forward for Toys R Us, I think that they can do it. Uh, I think the pre- Canadian president actually resigned quite recently, like a mm-hmm. week or two ago, but and she'd been there for about 20 years. But uh, I, I think that, you know, there's probably room for both retailers, but it is there is going to be some competition there. In terms of Mastermind Toys, I think it's such an incredible concept. They're based in Toronto. They have, uh, you know, educational toys. I think the, the stores are really, you know, fun and interesting, but I think they're a little more immune to the competition because they're really focused on kind of these educational toys. And, you know, it's for families that, you know, really value education and learning and, and you know, they'll bring their kids in there and buy those sorts of things. So it, it, probably there'll be less of an impact, but, uh, you know, Toys R Us for sure is going to have to be uh, very innovative in Canada. I think if it wants to compete with, uh, you know, other retailers that are coming in and FAO Schwartz out of New York City partnered with Hudson Group. And I think they've done some at airports and, you know, the Hudson Bay company, uh, de- our local department store carries some FAO Schwartz toys. I was just checking yeah. that out uh, over the last few days just to confirm that myself and there are some in there when i was going through um the hudson bay and uh, downtown toronto back in january they they actually had some toys and stuff there too so do they still have it they do Um, i confirmed it yeah i went to i was in west edmonton mall and i popped into the hudson bay store there because i wasn't sure if it was just a christmas uh season type of thing because yeah you were when you were with me in toronto uh yeah of course sense there'd be some toys and they were all being discounted because you know that's what happens in january with a lot of stuff that doesn't sell in december or in november so, um, but yeah. yeah, no, they're still there. I mean, they have some really interesting train sets. If I was a little kid, I would have loved those, uh, some of those things. But, you know, as an adult, you know, we, were, we change our tastes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they look pretty. Yeah, no, totally. And just a quick word from our sponsor for the podcast, which is JLL Canada. What's your ambition? Visit jll.ca to see how JLL is here to create rewarding opportunities and amazing spaces around the globe where people can achieve their ambitions. And uh, just looking at some of the other articles that we had floating through, uh, St. John is looking like it's opening up on the Mink Mile, uh, which again, we were just talking about the Blur Street um, luxury node with the JLL study earlier in the podcast here. But um, so where on the Mink Mile are they looking at opening this uh, new St. John? Yeah, yeah. St. John is going to be opening on, uh, it's 130 Blur Street West. It's basically between Gucci and Intermix. And it's across from the Colonnade where, you know, Dior has just opened as well as, you know, there's this mm-hmm. Prada and a few other, you know, Montclair, some very high-end brands there. William Ashley, I think it's the world's biggest store in terms of selection for flatware and dinnerware. Um, and it's, it's, it's currently on the Mink Mile there as well. So uh, it's interesting because we're starting to see these high-end brands moving into uh, Blur Street again. I think there was a little bit of a lull. I don't know if it was that much of a lull. but And in terms of the timing of the opening, to be honest, I'm not sure uh, when it's going to open. And the reason I say that is, um, you know, I think construction would start quite soon and maybe it would be finished for the fall. But, you know, I was just in Calgary and I was talking to the people at Chanel because Chanel's moving downstairs. There'll be a bit of a story in Retail Insider at some point about Chanel. Um, and they said the store's going to open in about a year. And I thought, well, my goodness, does it take a year to, to build it? I don't quite know what's going on, but there is construction hoarding up. So anyways, I, I just don't want to guess and speculate, but it could be, like, you know, November, December, possibly, if they can get the store finished by then. Mm. Well, and also, like, when I was looking at the St. John location in Vancouver, which is in Hotel Vancouver, 
Um, like it, it currently is in the place where there was a big breakfast buffet restaurant that's now been renovated and they now moved in there. But mm. it's interesting that in the article that we had, it was 15 years um, being the only standalone um, St. John location in Canada. So is there any particular reason why now that they've decided to kind of go make another solo store in, in Canada and Toronto? Because, well, 15 years is a long time. So why now? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, you know, I would have actually honestly thought that St. John would have opened its first Canadian store in Toronto only because mm. my understanding of the demographic, it's, um, you know, it's, it's very much career wear as well as kind of for the, maybe the ladies who lunch. Some of the designs and with particularly the jackets have that sort of Chanel inspired look to them. Look. They're not as expensive as Chanel, but they're, yeah, yeah. you know, great looking stuff. <clears throat> so... Um, you know, I kind of just knowing the demographics of the two cities, I kind of would have thought Toronto would have been first. But, you know, for one reason or another, you know, St. John had opened in uh, the Hotel Vancouver, uh, Fairmont Hotel Vancouver, I should say, in the commercial podium, which has some really fancy stores. I mean, every single retailer at the base of that hotel is a luxury brand. And, you know, St. John had uh, got started off in one location and then, you know, moved into the space that uh, was formerly occupied by. It was Griffin's, I think, is the restaurant. Did they move upstairs? Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not sure. Um, I, I think they closed because I, if they haven't, please let me know because I'd love to go there again. But, <laughs> but yeah, no. So it, it was interesting when you walk through there. It's completely been renovated. That whole main lobby area of the Fairmont Hotel there is stunning with the, you know, Dior and Omega and um, Louis Vuitton and stuff that's in there. Um, it's look, it's stunning, Gucci. Um, yeah. So it's well right at home there in the uh, the Vancouver branch there. You, and you name them all. Yeah, there was um, a proposal to actually expand the commercial base of the Hotel Vancouver. I'm not quite sure where that is and if it's still mm, been happening. Really? But yeah, they were no. looking at expanding retail down Burrard Street. So um, I don't I'd have to kind of get an update on that. But uh, yeah, that, that, that was definitely a plan. And, you know, there were some rumors that maybe Gucci would have done a bigger store or that Chanel might have uh, done something standalone there. But and just the, the only other article that was kind of hitting uh, a lot of uh, uh, interest for this past week was um, how some of the fashion rentals and vintage off price um, kind of interest for a lot of the folks, especially in that luxury section, was uh, kind of picking up. And uh, like when I was looking through it, like for myself, like when I was getting ready to go to my prom and or to weddings and stuff like that, a lot of times guys uh, rent tuxes. So it's not necessarily a new concept to me. And I think when I was like looking at the Sex in the City movie, the first one that came out in 2008. Uh, Jennifer Hudson was the personal assistant to Carrie Bradshaw, which was uh, Jennifer um, Parker. Uh, I just lost the name there. But anyway, so they... She Sarah was, Jessica uh, Parker. The, I Jessica Parker. Yay, that's it. Yes. And uh, so anyway, so the, the assistant um, was renting bags and stuff. So that was the first time I ever heard of somebody like renting fashion that was not like a tux or something like that. But is that something that you're seeing as up picking now especially in 2019 yeah it's interesting i mean that movie was i think from 2008 so about 10 yeah. years later like obviously it's been a thing and it's been a thing for a while i rented a tuxedo when i graduated from high school we didn't have a prom unfortunately i went to the Alto Marie college of notre dame that's a whole nother story but um you know we <laughs> did have like a ceremony but there wasn't like a prom party i don't think or at least i wasn't invited <laughs> but, yeah. oh. but now we're seeing um <laughs> now we're actually seeing you know this becoming very mainstream with with clothing rentals and we're seeing companies uh, you know uh rent the one runway in the united states uh, 
um, you know, uh, Oh Current is actually a new brand coming out of Montreal. Uh, you know, we, we interviewed Yana Bricker, who was talking about she's a stylist based in Toronto, and uh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. we were talking about you know clothing rentals. And what's interesting, you know, we went to an event and. Uh, um, she was pointing out because she had been to a place where, you know, dresses were being rented for some of her clients because she does some styling for them and they've asked for clothing rentals that, uh, you know, she was actually pointing out what dresses she had seen that, you know, had mm. been rented out, which is really interesting. Yeah. So this is becoming quite common. And now we're seeing, for example, you know, the Hudson Bay Company recently sold um, the Lord and Taylor department store chain to La Tote, which is a clothing rental business. So it mm. looks like this is becoming really, really uh mainstream all of a sudden so and this is say in the last year or so that i think we're really seeing this movement uh, towards clothing rentals so uh, i guess i sort of look at this you know an armchair observer in some respects and you know is this going to hit traditional retailers i think it will because uh, i mean how many times in a year does a person primarily women i guess uh, you know with clothing rentals you know how many fancy events do they go to in a year where maybe they don't want to be seen in an outfit once uh, maybe a little more frequently in terms of, say, you know, being seen in a post on Instagram or something like that. But, you know, traditionally a person, you know, a woman would say buy a dress and wear it. And I don't know how many times she would wear it. Uh, some might only wear it once type of thing. So now with clothing rentals, I mean, that takes away that, you know, time per wear of a garment that perhaps a person yes. would have had if they purchased that yes. garment. So that could be quite disruptive to retail. I think it's one of those things that um, it's almost like a stay tuned, see how, uh, it all plays out, how it but unfolds. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we could see the closure of more, you know, uh, traditional retailers that would, you know, carry dresses that people would wear to such events. Um, you know, that could actually happen. I mean, it, it, this is already a tough time in the retail industry for a lot of retailers in Canada. Certainly not all of them. Some are doing very well, but um, I don't know. I think it remains to be seen how much this is going to disrupt the retail industry in Canada. So it's some, certainly something to watch out for. And, uh, there, you know, there may be opportunities for some retailers to actually get in and be innovative and for sure they are i mean some retailers they're not going to you know look at trends like this happening and, and ignore them they're going to get in on it so we are seeing you know even i think urban outfitters is getting into it bloomingdale's is, is doing it banana republic i mean it's becoming really really mainstream so i'd say just you know keep watching because this is kind of fascinating to see how things are changing so quickly mm -hmm. no totally but uh, beyond our articles, was there anything in the e-news that you thought was worth bringing up as you're kind of probably curating all this as you're traveling around? But is anything interesting that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, there were a couple of things. Um, so we do that, you know, we scour news from around the web and we add it to uh, a page in Retail Insider Daily just so that people can kind of get their news from one source. And the thing that I thought was interesting, sorry, is um, Kath Kidson. It's a uh, brand out of the UK and it's kind of got this cool vintage look to it. And they're opening three pop-up stores in Toronto, which I know is going to be sort of, you know, the beginning of them opening permanent stores. I think some are speculating, but I can, you know, confirm that is the plan. That's what I've been told by party parties involved. And uh, so I, I think that's interesting. And actually, um, what I thought is really neat. So like, you know, we're saying I'm, I'm traveling in Alberta. Um, now we're seeing retailers entering the market or trying to get brand awareness by doing pop-ups. So, you know, Kath Kitson's doing this with three of them. And one of them, um, I got to get a hold of uh, the people from Manitoba Mucklucks because mm -hmm. uh, I went into one of their pop-up stores, so actually two of them in Calgary, funny enough. And um, they were telling me that they're planning, I think, doing at least 20 this fall in Canada across the country. And it's a way for them to kind of test the market, uh, showcase their product in a physical way, not just online, because, you know, they were you know, selling online primarily to start. It's, it's an Aboriginal owned uh, uh, company that, you know, does boots and, uh, you know, footwear and, and other and some beautiful jewelry. Like they've got really, really neat stuff in their stores. You got to check it out if, uh, you know, you're anyone, if anyone here listening is near one, it's really neat. But 
um, you know, their strategy is to, you know, pop up and basically test the market as well. And, uh, um, you know, at some point they may open permanent stores. It, that's sort of what we're seeing with a lot of retailers. You know, they're going to going direct to consumer. They're not necessarily, you know, just being carried in other, say, footwear stores or wherever, you know, products might be for certain categories. But, um, you know, this company's actually going right to the consumer and saying this is who we are. And they've got these cool pop-up spaces with lots of chopped wood and really neat interiors. And, um, you know, they're showcasing the brand. So I, I wish them luck. I, I think we'll be reporting on them. I, like I said, I'd have to coordinate that interview at uh, some point. Oh, yeah. Well, and for myself, some of the retail news that I saw come out in this last week of, was, of course, Apple's big announcement. So we can't overlook Apple's um, this time of year announcements for new iPhones and stuff like that. But they came out with a new, I think it was a new iPad, a new iPhone, and Apple Watch was the main things that I was aware of, as well as a raft of new services that you can pay monthly for. But, but yeah, no, seriously, the uh, in Canada, the iPhone 11 is about starting from $978, but the iPhone 11 Pro, which is what I was, you know, very excited about, it starts, I think the, I think it's thirteen hundred dollars. Thirteen seventy nine is what the the cheapest i uh, iPhone eleven Pro is. But mm-hmm. like when you start tacking on like the Apple Care warranty for another two hundred and fifty bucks plus a case and stuff like that, it do, is making a lot of people pause on whether or not they actually need to upgrade. So it's interesting. But that was, of course, I live for once a year this kind of announcement just to see what's new coming out from Apple. So what's, that was what's the different what's the difference between the 11 Pro and just the 11 for the iPhone? The 11 Pro um, has an extra um, an extra camera to it. So there's another, oh. I think, a wide angle that's tossed in there. So when you look at the back of the iPhone 11 non pro, it has two cameras, whereas the iPhone uh, 11 Pro has the, the three cameras on the back. So it's a better camera experience. They have different colors. Um, same capacity so you can get like 64 gig 128 uh, or 256 with um, apple 11 but i think you can get a larger version from the i the pro i'm just checking here on their website but when you hit the pre-order it brings up um it's a 512 so there's different capacities too and when you're taking video photos that kind of stuff that eats it up rather quickly yeah, definitely. I know that firsthand. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I have an iPhone 6S right now, and um, yeah, I think it's time for me to upgrade. So, uh, we'll we'll talk about that. If any listeners also have any suggestions, uh, let me know. But I, I'll probably stick with Apple. I think right now because uh, it's just something I'm using, I'm comfortable with, and it syncs with you know my MacBook Air. And I'm going to be investing a little more technology as we've had a conversation about this because uh, we kind of need it as we uh, you know progress into. Uh, podcasts uh, a little bit more and then um, we're gonna be doing a little bit of stuff uh, video related with retail council canada so stay tuned on that um no big announcements made yet but uh, i think it's gonna be some pretty neat stuff so uh we're getting, retail insiders getting into a bit of i guess you'd say multimedia we're expanding beyond just you know the original blog format i mean retail insider was started about seven years ago as a blog and we became a you know a news source and we've tried to position ourselves as such with that type of editorial and uh uh, now we're, you know, kind of getting into other stuff as well. So people can watch us and listen to us as well as read us, basically. So oh, it's, it's totally. the, full, the full retail insider experience. If oh, my goodness. People hopefully like it, I, I hope. I, you know, we're trying hard here. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you very much for your time today. I know that you're traveling and uh, travel safe on your way back to Toronto this coming week. But everyone, thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to us on whatever podcast format that you're listening to us on and rate us five stars so that we can get the word out that um, we're doing these kinds of podcasts for you guys. So Thank you again, Craig, and thank you to our listeners, and uh, see you next week. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care, and we'll be back.